Hello, everybody, and buckle up. We have episode number six. It is the week of November 28th, and today is December 1st. Welcome to December. Thank you for joining. I am Michael Iani Polarchio, your host here on the GarageCast. I am the head of innovation and strategic projects here at Branksom Hall, part of a group uh, department here at the school called The Garage, hence the name The Garage Cast for this podcast, for all of you listeners that are outside of the immediate Branksom community. For all of you that are here on campus, thank you again for joining me. We have a fun and interesting show ahead. We are going to be talking about a few things. First, to get us started, algorithms. Now, when you hear the word algorithm, you're probably not unfamiliar with it, but you might not exactly know how you would define it. If you were to look it up in a dictionary, uh, algorithm would be defined as a process or set of rules to be followed in calculations or other problem-solving operations, especially by a computer. But algorithms are a lot more than that. You know, when we talk about computational thinking, let's say with our students, and we want to let the concept of an algorithm sink in, we might uh, use, there's a classic one that's used, for instance, on how to make toast. What are the steps? And you list that, you know, you you get the bread, the loaf of bread, uh, you open the bag, you take out two slices, you put them in the top of the toaster, you press the button down, etc., etc. And in describing that, it gives you the concept of an algorithm. Now, you might be wondering, again, why are we talking about algorithms? Well, what's important to realize is that algorithms are everywhere around us. And I'm not just talking about being able to describe the steps, your algorithmic approach to making your breakfast. I'm actually talking about algorithms that are invisibly embedded in our lives. Right now, just listening to this podcast, doesn't matter what time it is in your day, you've probably already encountered hundreds of algorithms and you haven't realized it. Algorithms are truly everywhere. You can find them from our music. You know, if you have a streaming service like Apple Music or you're using the Amazon Prime Music, there are algorithms built in to those services and they help you find your favorite music. It recommends other music. We've got algorithms that are really at the heart of social media platforms that connect us with our friends and family. What you see in your Instagram feed or on a Facebook feed has been tailored to you through algorithms. And these algorithms, quite often, you know, we don't know how they are structured. We don't know how inputs go into an algorithm and an output um, comes out. And if we don't know that, then what we don't know is how are algorithms impacting our lives. Okay, so as I said, algorithms themselves, 
They're just a simple set of step-by-step -step instructions that are designed to solve problems and make decisions. Today, though, these algorithms can be used to analyze really, really large data sets. And when you do analysis on large amounts of data and start to identify patterns, you can start to create algorithms that can, in effect, be used to make decisions. And they can be used to find solutions to complex problems. And there's nothing wrong with any of this. Technology is neutral. The thing is, how is it applied? And how are these algorithms being developed? What is the data set? So for instance, if you train, you may have heard the term machine learning. And what machine learning is, is just feeding vast amounts of data into a machine learning system so that it can generate an algorithm. So for instance, algorithms are being used today in medicine to create um, personalized treatment for patients. How's this done? So rather than having doctors look at, let's say, um, x-rays or an MRI scan, and then identifying things, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of those scans can be fed into a machine learning program. That system, basically, it's not really learning. What it's doing is it's creating a model saying, okay, I've had a million scans fed into me, and 500,000 of those scans resulted in this diagnosis by an actual person, uh, a diagnosis for an actual patient, and it starts to build a model. And doing that enough allows you then to take that model, that algorithm, feed a future MRI scan into it, and what comes out the other end is a diagnosis without the need for a human being. And so these types of machine learning models and algorithms can allow for things to speed up in terms of decision-making. And that can be a good thing in the instance of uh, a diagnosis for an individual, you know, knowing these things sooner rather than later allows treatments to begin, and that's a good thing. But there's the risk, actually it's more than a risk, it's happening, where bias in data creates models that generate algorithms that then have bias built into them. And we're going to talk about that. And as educators, what's important is for us to understand how these types of algorithms, machine learning models, we could uh, leverage these for the work that we do for the betterment of our students and for the overall student experience. I think it's important, though, that curricularly, where it makes sense, we have to educate our young people about how algorithms, and I, I like to use this term, invisible algorithms, are making decisions for them. And that the world, if we're not careful, will institute another layer of systemically biased decision-making that is basically coded in to systems. It's basically become a 
part of the model. And especially when these algorithms are proprietary and not well understood. So, you know, when an organization goes through the effort of creating an algorithm and a machine learn set of machine learning models, this becomes a competitive advantage for them. In a sense, it's part of their intellectual property. And what's important is for them to keep that as their intellectual property. And so these algorithms, in a sense, become a black box. Something, an input goes in, an output comes out. And if there's bias that's built into that, that can be harmful towards individuals and something for, I think, our young people to understand that. Algorithms already today play a huge role in how we interact with technology. Search engines, for instance, when you sit down at your computer and you use Google, there's an algorithm that's there that brings you what should be the most relevant information when we search for something. But that can be influenced through bias as well. Machine learning algorithms are being used in retail stores and in restaurants, for instance, to you know, come up with bespoke, uh, better tailored recommendations on products that uh, are being sold or meals that are being made. And as these things continue to creep more and more into society, it's pretty clear that algorithms will continue to have an increasingly large impact on our lives. And as I said, as educators, it's important for us to be aware of these developments and how we can use them in the classroom. But it's really important that we understand these so that we can, as we, we educate students, whether it's in mathematics, whether it's in history, that we can relate how the world is changing because of algorithms. Because as technology continues to evolve, algorithms are undoubtedly becoming more and more entrenched in our lives. And it's, us, it's up to us as, as teachers to understand that and how these things are being used and to put that in context for young people. The question is, how do we do that? Um, and really, it's, it's a process of spending time trying to understand where we are. Specifically, I think, you know, starting to unpack elements of data bias so that we can point that out. You know, we teach students to think critically. You know, we, we teach students to, you know, read a newspaper article or a research article and think critically about that. I think we need to develop a capability where we can identify where there's algorithmic influence and teach students to do that. We have to, we have to be able to let them spot where algorithms have become pervasive in our lives and increasingly driving decisions that impact us. And let them think critically about that so they can understand, is there bias in the data? Okay. Again, data bias is really, it's a form of systemic bias that it can occur when the data is, um, the data set, for instance, is incomplete. Um, so for instance, um, somebody creates a model based on 500,000 uh, instances of, of some event, but they've only included data, for instance, that's predominantly data being generated by men. Well, you're, you're missing a data set for um, half the population. And in a sense, you start generating algorithmic models 
that are only serving the male population. That's an example of an incomplete data set or a limited data set. It could be data sets that are inaccurate, where we've just got data that we're making uh, algorithmic decisions on data that's just wrong for whatever reason. And the third thing I think to be aware of in data bias is data that is, it's complete, it's accurate, but it's been generated in a situation where there's already bias, societal bias, and so the data that is being generated is reflective of that bias. Let me give you an example. If we used a machine learning model that could evaluate a business idea, let's just think about entrepreneurship, evaluate it so that it could make the decision around which startups to invest in. Well, we know that today, venture capital investment funding, female-led startups make up 2% of venture capital investments. It's minuscule. And that is because of the huge gender bias that exists. Now, if we take the hundreds of thousands of investment decisions that have been made, millions of investment decisions across billions of dollars of investment. Well, of course, the data that's coming out, you know, if, if we take a million startups and feed them into the system and then we teach the model as to which ones actually were most successful, which ones generated the greatest uh, return on investment, the system will be biased because those companies predominantly historically have been founded and led by men. And so once we've got this codified algorithmic model in the future, if we don't account for data bias, entrepreneurial ventures that are being brought forward by women, where we are breaking down barriers so that male investors will see that there's huge opportunity, huge benefit, and huge need to invest in women-led companies. But what happens when it's just an algorithm, a non-thinking algorithm that just says, give me your input and I'll tell you the decision. If we use that bias data and those bias models as a result, we've really then disadvantaged in that scenario um, women entrepreneurs through the use of a biased model. And so I think this is the kind of thing that we want to be aware of as educators because algorithmic systems that are in place today, we're not talking about hypotheticals, these systems often draw conclusions about individuals that are based on statistical associations between certain traits and behavior without any regard to individual circumstance or putting things in modern context. In other words, algorithms are making decisions about people without really knowing who they are and what their individual contextual experience is. And this results in a kind of bias, a data bias, that can be devastating for those affected. It could deny you for mortgages. It could deny you employment. All of these things that society is making great strides on in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion 
can be undone as we continue to have algorithmic influence in our lives. And so one of the things I want to be able to do over the the coming remaining months of this academic year is really raising awareness that data bias is a problem. Algorithmic models are not the problem. It's data bias that is the problem and that it needs addressing. And that we need our young people to be aware of that and to become as savvy about that as we do other areas of bias and other areas of critical thinking. So that students can think about that, understand that these are are around them, um, understand that they may play a role in the future uh, as they go out into the workforce, understand and be aware of the ethical implications for those that are affected by algorithmic decision-making. And ultimately, you know, when we talk about having our young people go out and shape a better world, well, part of that has to be striving to create algorithms that are fair, equitable, and just, um, you know, in order to prevent further systemic bias from entering into our lives. So I leave you with those thoughts Um, And with this particular segment around algorithms and their role in our lives and how data bias is a real thing. And I challenge you to think about where, as an educator, if you are an educator, this might be a relevant theme to talk about in a class. And if you're not an educator, because I know we've got a pretty diverse listening community here on the GarageCast, you know, reflect on just where are algorithms around you, these invisible algorithms that you may not realize. They are influencing things that are happening in your lives and where you can identify that and you yourself think critically about how they're working and how they're impacting your day-to-day. Lots to think about, that's for sure. Let's um, conclude that segment, but before we move on to the next segment in this week's Garage Cast, let's take a moment for a brief break and some information. Branksom Hall, an independent Ivy World School, and the Monk Debates, dedicated to promoting civil and substantive public debate, are pleased to announce result. The first online worldwide public speaking and debate competition on a universal theme, Resolved is open to all 13 to 18 year old students in secondary school who like to challenge conventional thinking. Our innovative online debate platform, DB8, makes it easy for students and judges from around the world to debate and connect on topics that challenge popular beliefs and encourage deep thinking. The goal is to present the most persuasive argument on the universal topic Registration is now open for the public speaking phase of the inaugural competition. The topic of the competition is, we can appreciate art even if the artist is personally reprehensible. Students will have until January 16, 2023 to prepare, deliver and upload their speech on this topic on the DB8 platform. The top 32 students advance to the online debate phase. From there, the top four students will be selected to take part in a final in-person, all-expenses-paid debate event in Toronto, Canada in May 2023. And now, back to our program. 
and welcome back. I'm going to take a slightly different tact for this second segment, which I'm going to try and keep a bit shorter since our discussion around algorithms was a bit longer than our normal opening segment. The reason for a slightly different tact for this segment is I'm responding to a message that I got through Twitter. Uh, someone direct messaged me or DM'd me after having listened to the podcast. Um, and this person from our community um, who asked um, for me not to name who they were, uh, so I will respect that, wanted me to just comment on what exactly is happening to Twitter itself. Um, it's probably no surprise to any of you listening that you know, Twitter changed ownership. It has gone from becoming a public company, publicly traded company, to having been purchased by Elon Musk, um, who also is the uh, CEO of Tesla and SpaceX. And I think I'll do a future episode on social media platforms themselves. I'm trying to unpack some of that for our community, especially our educator community. And I don't really want to comment too much around what is or is not happening to Twitter itself. You know, we've seen there's been a lot of news reporting that there's been some chaos in terms of um, um, the way people are being managed, um, the way content moderation um, has become more relaxed, and the way um, certain accounts that had been suspended have now been reinstated. And I'm, I'm not going to weigh in on, um, on any of that. I think there's lots of um, online material around that, uh, both, you know, um, on the pro side and the con side of what's happening. And Twitter is a tool I have been using for a very long time, you know, after having, I've got, I'm not sure, over 17,000 tweets over a really long period of time. I can't remember exactly when I joined Twitter, but um, I've been there for um, well over a decade for sure, maybe, maybe even 12 or 13 years. And so for me, Twitter has always been a social media platform where I've managed to connect with really interesting groups of people. I learn a lot from people that I follow. Um, I've made some great connections and professional acquaintances have emerged from Twitter. It really is a, an important channel for me. And so I hope that however it goes, uh, that it remains uh, uh, you know, a viable and usable platform. Um, I have started to... Um, um, things that I have been tweeting, I have also been putting into some other platforms that are of a decentralized nature. Um, one platform in particular called Mastodon, um, which is not exactly like Twitter, um, but it is a way to have conversations and share information and share knowledge and connect with other like-minded people. And I've really started using that platform to better understand it, um, better understand the decentralized nature uh, of that model, um, and I guess as a as a safety in case Twitter should, for whatever reason, um, cease to be either altogether or cease to be what what it is and has been uh, to date. What I wanted to say in this particular segment is 
as educators, what's our role in terms of how we talk about social media and use social media um, and really educate students about social media? Social media can be a great way for students to stay connected. Um, they can engage with each other. With each other. Um, it can also become a huge time waste. Um, and I see online that, you know, we've all seen this. It can also lead to really heated debates that are not constructive. And so what I wanted to put in this week's uh, garage cast with regards to this question that I got from a listener around Twitter is really, as educators, we have this opportunity to help guide our students towards more civil discussions by promote, promoting open-mindedness and respectful debate and interaction through social media. Really having students understand that first and foremost, it doesn't matter whether they're on Instagram I don't think students overly use Twitter, uh, but their TikToks and their Snapchats, that it's important to create an environment of mutual respect. That just the fact that we're in an online environment and we feel removed, sometimes these elements of mutual respect are easier for people to ignore. And so I think we have to encourage students to be respectful of different viewpoints, which we do all the time in the work that we do with them. We have to have them see that that applies to the virtual space, the digital space. That it's, in a sense, almost even more important because if you're disrespectful to someone in a room, once it's done, it's done. If you're disrespectful to someone online, first of all, the reach and amplification is huge. And secondly, it's there forever. And so I think, you know, we should be encouraging students to be respectful of different viewpoints, uh, refrain from making personal attacks against each other, which is something that, you know, we're, we're increasingly seeing on Twitter. And we can also encourage students to use social media as a platform for learning, not just for entertainment and socialization, that it can be a, a, a real viable platform for learning, asking questions, and having meaningful conversations with their peers and other young people. Secondly, I think we can provide guidance on how to talk about difficult, um, divisive, or polarizing topics in a constructive way, which again, here at Branksome, I see how this happens all the time. We, we've got a great debate program here at the school, um, you know, um, within many of the subject areas here across the grades, students are learning to do this. And so how do we map this to the nuanced channels of social media, right? How, for example, can, uh, you know, we encourage students to stay focused on facts and refrain from jumping to conclusions when they're on social media or making assumptions about other people's opinions that they might see on social media? And we might, you know, also suggest and help students build that muscle where they can take a step back from any kind of social media situation when they, they feel that things are becoming escalated, that they can step back in order to prevent further escalation in an argument. And then I think the last piece 
I would say, is it's important for us as educators to foster a sense of empathy um, and that students should should develop that muscle of empathy, which again, you know, through, if I think of the design work that we do um, uh, in the design courses here, empathy is a component in the work that we're doing around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Empathy is a hugely important skill that we are teaching students. And so how do we have that translate to the social media channels? You know, we can encourage students to think about how other people might feel when discussing a conversational topic and why they might hold different opinions. We do that already. You know, integrative thinking is a great uh, example of that. It's a, it's, a, it's a way of thinking that we have uh, built curricular um, program around to teach students that. How does it apply in this super speed super amplified environment of social media? And how do we help students become more aware of the potential consequences of posting inflammatory comments on social media and better equip them to engage in meaningful dialogue with others? I think that by reminding our students of the importance of open-mindedness and respectful debate, We can help guide them towards more civil conversations on social media and to not get caught up in the drama. You have to remember that these platforms, the success of these platforms and the aim of these platforms quite often is to get people hyper-engaged and hyper-escalated to engage because that benefits the platform. More activity, more users, you know, generating more conversations leads to more advertising revenues for channels like Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and Snapchat and Facebook and any other myriad of social tool out there. And having students understand that those systems, they're built to try and push people's buttons. But that has a negative consequence on the individuals and the topics being discussed. And so that's how I sort of choose to share on this particular topic. And I can't thank enough for the person that sent me that message um, to, you know, give me something to address in the garage cast as being important um, for us to give consideration to as educators. Well, that is a wrap. My friends and listeners, thank you for joining me again here on the Garage Cast. As I've said in past episodes, this show doesn't happen without those of you that listen. I guess it's kind of like that old adage if a tree falls in a forest and no one is there, does it make a sound? I guess that holds true for podcasts as well. If someone makes a podcast and nobody listens, <laughs> What exactly do you have? So thank you again for joining me. It's been a real pleasure as we've chatted about algorithms and data bias, and social media, and how all of these things touch educators and touch students and really touch us all. Um, and it's been a pleasure to uh, chat about it and fun to chat about it. Please have yourself a great end to the week, a great upcoming weekend. Please join me again next week 
there will be another podcast as we continue to proceed through December towards the end of 2022. Until then, keep well, everybody. Thank you again for joining. This is Michael Iani Polarchio from Branksome Hall here on the GarageCast saying thank you and ciao.